I recently had the privilege of being a guest on the podcast, The Lamppost Listener. Now, if you're not familiar with that podcast, you should check it out now. You should subscribe, especially if you are a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, because what they do is they go chapter by chapter through the books. In season two, they will be jumping into Prince Caspian, and I was going to be pulled in as a guest for episode four, which covers chapter four. I was really excited, uh, but it had been probably 30 years since I had read the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, 30 years ago, I received a box set, and I read through them, and I loved them. And so about a week ago, I pulled out Prince Caspian, and I read chapters one through four in preparation for the podcast. And it was really interesting to me to see that while I had read the books before, while I roughly knew what was going to happen, my experience reading this book 30 years later was very different than the first time I picked it up. Now, if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, in book one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, four children, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy are transported from London into a magical land called Narnia, where they eventually become kings and queens and experience incredible adventures. And then they return back to London as children again, but remembering all the amazing things that had happened. And then in Prince Caspian, a year has passed and they've gone back to their normal lives. They are about to return to school and the magic starts to pull them back. But at first, they don't realize what's happening. They're afraid. They feel something pulling at them, but they have no idea what it is. It takes a few moments before they start to realize, oh, wait, this is similar to what we experienced before. They find themselves back at Narnia and encountering things from their past, but it takes them a long time to recognize those things. It takes them a long time to remember. And I remember as I was reading, it struck me when I read this as a child, I didn't think much of it because, yeah, a year had passed. A year is a long time for a kid. And of course they forgot. But as an adult, I found a clear connection to how I, through the years, have engaged with God. That just as these children had experienced a new world, a supernatural, magical things, I have experienced a new world as I've grown in relationship with God. A supernatural world where the logic of man pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. Where God can do miracles. Where God can do powerful, amazing things. And where he can do powerful, amazing things through me. I find myself forgetting often what God has shown me, what he has taught me, that he has called me to not live in this world, but to recognize that I was made for eternity. And very little time can pass where I no longer recognize the magic around me, where I no longer remember the identity that I've been given. And so... <laughs> Whereas I thought I was just going to be diving back into this, what is often termed a, a children's book, uh, I realized that God wanted to show me uh, a little bit of him, a little bit of myself in those pages and to remind me that I too forget and how important it is to remember God's power and the power at work within me. It was a great reminder that while God definitely speaks through scripture, he can speak through whatever he wants to speak through. He can speak through literature. He can speak through artwork. He can speak through music. He can speak through a play. And so in this episode, we are going to explore that idea, how God speaks through anything that he wants. And I'm really excited because I got to actually sit down 
with the hosts of the Lamppost Listener and get some of their thoughts of how they've seen that in their time doing their podcast and in other things. This is episode 11 of the Where Did You See God podcast. All right, so I'm really excited today because I get to sit down with Daniel and Phil. But before we jump into things, would you all mind if I prayed? Go for it. Go for it. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity to explore ways that you speak that might be unexpected. And so I pray that uh, we wouldn't get caught up in our words, um, but you would just speak through us. And we look forward to seeing what you want to say. In his precious holy name, amen. 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 So just to kick us off, who are you guys? We're the, we're the lamppost listeners. Yeah. So. <laughs> the uh, Narnia novices. Yes, we are the two Narnia novices. Phil and I run a podcast called The Lamppost Listener, mm-hmm. uh, where we go chapter by chapter through C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. And y'all are now in season two, book That's two, right. which is really exciting. Why is it that y'all started that podcast? Well, one of the things for me, some of it is uh, kind of simple and not super interesting, and all, there are other parts that have been more unexpected that I, I guess I could give you both answers. But I want to hear them both. Um, I mean, one of the things was both Phil and I are um, people who really like to create things, and kind of being in our mid to late 20s and just kind of you know going through life, we, we were finding not as many outlets to do that. Mm. And so I, I literally just texted Phil one day. I was like, let's do a podcast. Like That's something that we could create. Um, that wouldn't take up as much. We didn't know at the time. Uh, we were like, we won't take up that much time. It'll be just something fun we do. And slow cost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we thought. Uh, you know, it's something fun that we could do. And then, and so we both like, yeah, let's do it. We have no idea what we want to talk about. We're like, maybe movies, maybe t- you know, TV. And we're like, there's a lot of those. <laughs> um, so we're like, well, what if we did um, uh, like a book, a book series where we could kind of do some kind of episodic uh, approach to uh, the content that we're creating and we landed on the Chronicles of Narnia, which right. that's a thing we could do, and no one else is reading those books uh, in this kind of format. Um, but then, you know, as we've that was why we started. But then the reason we've continued to make it is we found there's like there's this really big community of people who love these books and feel like they're really criminally underrated. Like obviously they're still very popular, and most people mm-hmm. are going to at least have heard of them. But there's a lot of people who feel like they deserve to be on, you know on the top of the shelf with, you know, other giant, you know, Goliaths of fantasy literature, like, you know, Harry Potter and, and the Lord of the Rings or, you know, Tolkien's legendarium. And, but they're not usually like, if you were to go into Barnes and Noble, you'd probably see not all seven books somewhere on the shelf. There'd be a thousand Harry Potter books and rightfully Mm -hmm. so. I love Harry Potter, but there'll be maybe like just two or three of the Chronicles of Narnia. I actually checked. There's the big version. That's about, yeah. And that's it. And there's like two copies. Yeah, and so we found that there's a lot of people, one, who are still love these books and wanted an outlet to be able to still talk about them. And so we've been able to invite some guests on, but we've also been able just to hear a lot from our listeners who, who really, really love these books. But also there's been people like, like you, Paul, who've been on the show before mm-hmm. who have shared like, oh man, I, I just read them as a kid and I never really picked them back up. And now there's so much rich, like the same depth and richness that Lewis brings to his apologetic work is there in these books too. And we've, mm-hmm. we've even talked about you know, Planet Narnia a little bit, that there's even some <laughs> even more secret kind of conspiracy theory stuff as well. We, we won't get into that on the show. But <laughs> I mean, so, so that's, that's been why I've continued to do it because yeah. we've found this community of listeners who really enjoy these books. And we've 
just felt like we're just the people with the microphone, but not necessarily like any kind of experts in that field at all. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's been so fun to have people reach out to us via email and um, people left voicemails for us, but also just like the people that I see here in this neighborhood and you know, people, friends from back home, everyone's like, you have a Chronicles of Narnia podcast mm-hmm. and they're not like skeptical. They're like, the Chronicles of Narnia is great. It's kind of like you forget for a little bit. Yeah. And we were talking um, on the show earlier about how you have like an age where fantasy is really good and then you kind of fall out of it for a little while and then you're old enough to read it again. Yeah. And I think we like started reading it again at the right age, um, kind of for our friend group and up. Yeah. Well, one thing uh, I really appreciate about your podcast, which side note, if, if you haven't looked it up yet, you need to go ahead and add it to your queue. Uh, but that's the only reason we're here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but there has uh, been some really great moments, uh, you know, listening through season one, where it, it tapped into something that I've been thinking about lately, which is this. Uh, you know, I've, I've had an episode about how God can speak through scripture, um, but I've heard so many stories of, of people coming to understand something about God, coming to experience something about God, learning more about themselves uh, and who God created them to be through something that wasn't the Bible, whether it was a book, a play, a poem, a piece of art, a song. And so I love this idea of exploring how is it that God can speak through things that aren't explicitly Scripture aren't explicitly Christian even at times. Mm. And so there was actually an episode uh, in season one uh, that focused on chapter 15, where Daniel had his wife on. Yeah, yeah. And she shared uh, something that really stood out to me. And in, in, in chapter 15, spoiler alert, if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but Aslan is, is killed on the stone table. And there's this connection to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Anna says, reading through this chapter really does help me connect better with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And she goes on to share how in that chapter, Lewis really um, dives into the sorrow that Susan and Lucy, who are characters in the story, that they're feeling watching Aslan be killed. And Anna shared how that helped to draw her into her own sorrow and understanding of the resurrection and the crucifixion. Yeah. And so just kind of off the bat, um, as y'all been diving into the book again, um, or for you, Daniel, again and again and again, mm-hmm. um, how is it that you have seen this reality that God can speak through anything come to light? Well, I, you know, I think specifically, you know, looking at the line, the witch in the wardrobe, the, the first book in the series, uh, if you're reading them in publication order, which is the way that, <laughs> that God intended. Um, so the um, one of the things, and it goes with what, what my wife said, which is that like I'm able to put myself in the shoes of the characters in the book, which is funny that like I'm much more able to relate to a nine-year-old British girl mm. in the year 1941 um, and her relationship to seeing who she thought was the Savior be crucified, right? Mm. I'm much more able to relate to that oftentimes than I am with, with scripture. And that's not a dig on scripture at all. Mm-hmm. It's that just like contextually, like I can re- relate to that more. And so then like ha- hearing the emotion and especially I'm thinking now, just cause you said, it, I'm thinking about chapter 14 and 15 where, where the white witch kills Aslan. And then in 15, when, when he mm. is resurrected through the deep magic, it's, there's this really interesting thing that's happening, which it's almost, and, and 
this is what uh, scholars call it, is a supposal, right? So it's taking uh, the idea of, not the idea, but the, the truth of the, the Trinity and Christ coming to earth, being like an incarnation, uh, and then dying for our sins. It's like, su- suppose that happened in a mm-hmm. fantasy world. There's not, it's not actually, a lot of people would say it's an allegory, but C.S. Lewis probably mm-hmm. would have said, no, that, that's not true, it's, it's not that, it's, it's a little bit different. And with this supposal, even though it's so, it's in a lot of ways very distinctly separate from what actually happened, I'm able to kind of put myself into that narrative and react to it as well. Like uh, there's in, in chapter 14 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan's going to the stone table, I, I usually, I'd read it with my students every year and I would like have to like, I would always get choked up just like seeing like Aslan is, is shaved hmm. and like the way that he is just completely submitting to all this evil that's happening to him. And like, it's the, the Lucy and Susan are watching from afar and they're just like devastated. And like, I'm often like, I don't do that when we get to Lent often. Like, like I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm. I, I go through the motions. And so to see this same story through different eyes, even though again, it's not a one for one allegory, it's, it's really, really interesting to me, and it, it makes me feel the emotion of the gospel in ways that I don't necessarily feel it when I'm reading you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Again, not saying that because one's obviously better, one is scripture and one isn't. It's more <laughs> of the fact that, like, oh, I just hadn't thought about it this way, where I grew up with hearing the gospels over and over again. The line which the wardrobe was something I didn't get to look to a little bit later on in life. There's some great benefits to growing up in a church, and you are very familiar with a lot of the stories, but one of the downsides is you're really familiar with a lot of the stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh, shocking. Just like someone will read the story for the first time. Um, you know, like someone who recently became a Christian or is just reading the Bible for a different reason. Um, and they're like, Whoa, like this happened. And you're like, Oh yeah, that, that is strange. Mm-hmm. But because you've heard it so much growing up, um, things like David and Goliath, don't shock as much. They're not as surprising Mm -hmm. um, just because you've heard them so much. So I think it's great when you have a supposal like the Chronicles of Narnia and you can view it from a different angle, but you're not altering scripture. And I think that's really hard Mm -hmm. to like, it's hard to update scripture for modern times Mm -hmm. in like a, in a way that's readable without changing it in ways that are kind of sketchy or um, like difficult to justify. Uh, you know, Eugene Peterson has the remix, um, or the message, the message, re- message yeah. remix. Um, did he do the remix one, or was that I mean, he did the else? original message too? I think the remix one was probably something you got when you were like in high school. It was like the teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. saw a copy. Spice it up some more. <laughs> yeah, over there. But yeah. it's like, it's kind of weird because you're not supposed to change mm-hmm. scripture, but it also like wasn't written in English. So there's a lot of stuff like that that is difficult, but because this is so different and it's mm-hmm. not a one-to-one metaphor because like every metaphor seems to break down yeah but this is a supposal and it just it allows you to like experience the story in a different way and then relate it back to what you know about the christ story when i like the point you made about how we can get used to the stories and and to push that even more you know the wisdom of god is foolishness to man right so we actually have this internal resistance to truth most of the time because truth is going to call us to die to ourselves right so mm-hmm. uh I feel like sometimes when we hear these same stories again, when we um, hear these same truths again, we can allow that to build a resistance within us. 
And I sometimes wonder if the reason God chooses to speak through other methods in addition to scripture is because he knows he can trick us, (laughs) like Hmm. he can get through those barriers. So to give an example, what we're talking about is actually biblical. Um, As y'all were talking, it made me think of Nathan and David. And the quick recap, David was a man after God's own heart, but then one day he's up on the roof. He's getting a little caught up in himself. He sees Bathsheba, sleeps with her, that she gets pregnant kills her husband to like try to cover it's just a whole mess of stuff and then nathan uh is is coming to him and nathan knew scripture nathan knew biblical truth and what he could have done in that moment and said god has forbidden murder god has done this that, that but what he knew is david was not in a place to hear that david had built up so much resistance in himself that nothing nathan could have said would have necessarily gotten through So what Nathan did through God's prompting is shared a story. Mm. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle or, uh, to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. But it's like... <laughs> He was able to get through got him. David's, yeah, right? And he got through David's defenses, and David was shook, like immediately yeah. rocked because he could see the truth got through mm-hmm. all of his defenses and barriers. So I'd lo- love to hear from you guys, whether it's in your time in Narnia or whether it's in other books or movies or other forms of art. What are times you feel like God has sh- spoken to you or shook you or challenged you through something that wasn't scripture? I can think of a lot of things. And so it's kind of hard to filter through like which ones I want to just unload on you right now. <laughs> um, one of the things, and this has been kind of a, a running narrative in my life. Um, my, my favorite TV show, not the best TV show, be careful here, but my favorite <laughs> TV show, the one that's probably impacted me more than anything else is uh, ABC's Lost that ran from 2004 to 2010. And it, it, that was, for me, that was that was seventh grade through senior year of high school. So that was a really, really important time for me developmentally, mm. especially in the way that that um, popular art would have was just, it I mean, was a part of kind of who I was. Like it really did. I really did kind of uh, impact the way that I developed. And in that show, for if, if listeners don't know, um, it's about a group of people on an airplane who crash land on an island. And it gets it gets much more complicated and crazy as the, as the show goes along. But, but the very just skeleton of the show is each episode, especially near the beginning, and it do, like I said, it does get more complicated. The skeleton of the show is that you have these people who none of them really knew each other, um, who all had really broken lives. Mm-hmm. And they get on the island, and now they have a chance for redemption. And so, like that, like, and each episode would be focused on a different character, and then you'd see some of their backstory, and then it would kind of relate to something on the island in some way. And there's, um, in the very first season, I think it's episode uh, seven or eight, it's called The Moth, and it focuses on a character um, named Charlie, who is um, kind of a one hit wonder rock mm-hmm. musician um, who is addicted to heroin, and kind of this success of literally just this one song. I think the band only has like two albums, and really only the one song hit it big, and then he never could really. Kind of going through 
um, becoming famous and stuff, became really, really ba- badly addicted to heroin. But then all of the like the rest of his life falls apart. And then in, the idea is he, he gets to an island where like that's not going to be, you know, he's going to have to deal with this this issue because uh, there's not going to be an unlimited supply of heroin on this mm-hmm. on this island. And so the there's there's this episode goes back and forth with this this idea of this you know this this sin, if you will. That he's kind of struggling with, and I don't want to spoil it, but I remember just seeing so many different aspects, and not just him, but with many other characters, with it like we're just crying biblical themes and biblical truth and the truth of the gospel, even though uh, none of the writers I don't think were Christian. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I remember it, it was this idea that I've always been really interested in as someone who really likes pop culture is that like, the gospel is true. And if I believe it's true, then whether people want to or not, it will make its way into some form of art, mm. even if the people making it don't know the Lord. Like I think about um, J.R.R. Tolkien has um, you know, the famous quote that he hates allegory, right? I don't know if y'all know if y'all know this. He says he dislikes allegory in all of its manifestations, which is probably why he hates the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Because <laughs> like, that's, that's so much of it is that. But then you, you can juxtapose that with a letter that Tolkien writes. It's, it's letter 142. I think he writes it to um, a priest in the Catholic Church where, you know, so he hates allegory, but he says that the Lord of the Rings is uniquely a religious and Catholic work. Or it's sorry, it's a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, unconsciously so at first, and then consciously in the revision. And I am so intrigued mm. by the fact that he unconsciously wrote yeah. a. I mean, I think it, later in the letter he talks about he actually purposefully left out religion in the book. But then if you if you read through the Lord of the Rings, which I've done a lot, yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many different issues, especially like divine providence and the divine being in, in Tolkien's legendarium is this being called Ero, Ero Luvatar. And it's like, there's so many things that, I mean, now obviously this is from a Christian writer, but he's kind of uncovering this thing. It's like, wait, I, I wrote a, a religious book and I didn't mean to. Mm. And so I think that's what's happening even in Lost or in the other things that I'm watching. Like there are people who like their work is teeming with the truth of the gospel because it's true, it just will show up in their work. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think of the verse in Luke 19. Uh, the Pharisees are, are trying to silence the disciples, and they say uh, to Jesus, Teach your rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so. <laughs> I'll just say that last that, <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't that know was the best timing I hope that got picked up. <laughs> <laughs> the stones are My crying. computer. All right. But uh, it said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And verse 40 says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so even if the disciples weren't speaking, God's truth was going to get out there one yeah, way or another. Yeah. What about you, Phil? Well, first of all, that story terrified me as a as a child. The Nathan David story. Like, oh, what? No, no. The uh, the stones crying. Oh. out. Yeah. <laughs> you want the stones to cry out? Yeah. Well, I was like, I was like, can we all just like not worship for like ten minutes and just like see, see what, what that sounds like? Because that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, why do we have to sing these songs in church? My mom's like, well, if we don't, the rocks will like start doing it. I'm like, that's a great what? reason to not sing. What are y'all talking about? <laughs> I want to hear those rocks. It's like that scene in, uh, what is it, Frozen with the, the trolls are rocks and they roll out and start singing the so, song. <laughs> I've never seen it. You haven't oh. seen Frozen? I have wow. not. I, I know. Mean, You're I in know. for a well, treat. If you want to hear the gospel, you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Here's the thing, though. I think there probably yep. would be some, there, some things in there's there. A good, uh, there's a good message on love that isn't as common in Disney movies in that movie. Don't spoil, spoil it for me. I won't spoil yeah. it for you. But yeah. 
So aside from being freaked out by the stones crying out. Uh, so yeah, what, uh, what is to, what are some pieces of literature art, um, as someone who's creative that you feel like God has used to show you something? One thing that, um, is a side effect of growing up in the home that I did is that my dad was constantly pointing out where Christ was and stuff, Mm. but also, um, where people were obviously looking for Christ. So whenever I see a character do something in a TV show or a movie, I think, why are they doing that? Like, what void are they trying to fill? Um, And it's usually like they have this longing for something and they're trying to satisfy it with something worldly um, Mm -hmm. through, you know, depending on what kind of show, like through an affair or through gaining riches or notoriety or whatever it is, they're driven by something. And it's usually a desire for something they don't have but they're, you know, looking in the wrong place for it. Um, in addition to that, there are so many retellings of the Christ story mm-hmm. in, um, like, culture, yeah. and especially uh, pop culture, like movies and stuff. The Matrix comes, comes to mind. Like, you know, I know a lot of people who, like, totally not into reading the Bible or Christianity, think religion's dumb or something, mm-hmm. and they love, like, the matrix is awesome. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you think that story is based off of? And, um, you see that, is it a motif? If it's the whole story, you see that like repeated so many mm-hmm. places, just like we need something there. There's always a prophecy. It seems like, like some, mm-hmm. there's some prophecy right. like, um, and it's going to be fulfilled and mm-hmm. there's someone coming and there'll be a sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. There's gotta be a sacrifice <laughs> and there's true love and yeah. all that. No. Can I so, can I turn the tables on you you Paul for a oh second? Oh man, yeah. I guess I would look because you, you you talk about that Phil, especially about the Matrix. And I think I think about that, and like a question I would always have is like, well, what are people, especially people who might even be antagonistic towards the gospel? Like, what is what is drawing them to that story? Is it just the, the cool fight scenes and stuff? And so, uh, my question, I guess for for Phil too, mm-hmm. is like, is it? Do you think when when you ask these questions about seeing? Um, these themes in literature do you think it happens more often Mm. in fantasy or is this something that like we can go let's go open up jane Eyre, and i think it's still there too because i am i mean i'm gonna be honest i read a lot of fantasy and i Mm -hmm. i I, a lot so a lot of uh, star wars books i do read a lot of star wars books as well too so like for me like because these are these fantastical war like war these i'll say it again for me because it's these you know fantasy worlds a lot of times it's easier to see these kind of supernatural themes right mm-hmm. but like can, can we open up charles dickens and fi- I, I think we can but i was wondering if, if you have any experience with yeah that. i mean again we were talking about rocks crying out and there's nothing more just boring and natural than a rock uh and so i would agree like yeah fantasy is definitely an easy access to the supernatural realm mm-hmm. but what we're talking about here uh, is is supernatural but the gospel is also uh deeply real to who we are, how we are created, how we function. I mean, it is the most real thing about us. And the only reason it doesn't seem so is because we don't fully understand it yet. And so even concepts like love, uh, we we mess that up a lot. But there are moments in non-fantasy literature where true love seems to be captured. Agape love, sacrificial love mm-hmm. seems to be captured. And that stands out to us because like this is happening in a a real context, a, a context that I can associate with where there aren't wizards flying around. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say, it, you know, there's this other thing that we're looking at too that I thought of when you were talking, Phil, that 
we're talking about the gospel making its way into things, but also just the reality of the human condition. And we like to think that we're special and our lives are unique. <laughs> but like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And it's amazing how there's so many things that we have experienced, so many ways that we function, so many times that we chase after the wrong thing that is, is a very common experience. And when we see that in literature or in a movie or in art, we can connect with that because it shows us something about ourselves. So I would say absolutely, it can show up in any genre because truth is truth and it can make itself at home wherever it wants to. It has its, it has its way of um, getting out there. Mm -hmm. Do you think... I think that's a great, yeah, that, that I'm, now I feel like I'm interviewing you. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm just, this is a great topic and I'm really yeah. interested in it. Do you think that you often find, like, where would you say you find those more? Like, if you literally, if we think of genres of literature, like where, and I'm sure a ton of it has to do with our own personal preferences mm -hmm. as well, but like, is there a, or do you think it's just literally even across the board? Or is there a place where like, every time I kind of go back to this type of story, that's where I'm really, like, it really touches me. Mm. I don't know if there's a specific area or genre for me. But I think it's more what I'm realizing is it's more it's more a state of being that I need to choose in, to be in. Okay. That I need to choose to be in a place where I'm looking for that. Uh, so to give an example, when I was younger, when I was in high school, I remember that this would happen in really everyday things. Uh, okay. I would go outside. It had snowed. Um, I remember one time I was wearing these dirty shoes because I grew up in the country, went out and played in the snow in them, got in the house, and the shoes were just like sparkling white. And I was like, oh my gosh, like all the dirt and grime is gone is because like the friction of the snow and the, it, it cleaned it off. But I remember in this moment as a high schooler, there was something about the purity of snow, about how my dirty shoes were made new again, that I was like, whoa, the gospel's in that. And that happens a lot, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about literature, but even in everyday life, these things can happen. And so for me, it's less that it happens in a specific place or a specific way. And it's more, am I willing to trust and believe that the gospel is showing itself? And am I willing to look for it? So it's more of an orientation towards right. whatever you're engaging with when it comes to like popular art. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. What would y'all's advice be as, as two men who have been working through these books uh, who have had opportunities to recognize moments of the gospel creeping in. What is your advice to someone who wants to orient themselves to hear and see God in everyday things? You know, one of the things that I always have to fight against, um, especially as we're two people who are reading uh, a book uh, through a pot, not, we're not reading it, but we're like discussing going through a book is like, Fighting against, uh, we, we are reading it. Well, we do read it too. <laughs> <We> <laughs> just not several times. We've got the Cliff Notes just, version. It's, it's, it's not an audio book we do as a podcast, though. We should do an episode um, where we don't read the chapter. Just like, yeah, it's kind of like about like redemption. Or... Yeah. Well, I one of the things I always want to fight against is becoming like really, really pretentious about mm -hmm. a, a text, right? And like, because um, we are like we look at it um, kind of as novices, but we also we do analyze it and we do research and like we look into like deeper. The themes and stuff um and one of the things that i've noticed as i kind of do that and i always want to be careful when i explain it so it just doesn't come off as me kind of like being pretentious is like art when you're reading like any kind of art but literature here in particular like i think it's actually okay to somewhat to sometimes divorce kind of not all the time but like with literary criticism um there's an idea called reader response theory and mm -hmm. that's this idea that like you as a reader actually play a, a part in 
the story. I, I'm probably not saying it correctly, so like I don't have mm-hmm. to worry about being pretentious because I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's with, with reader response theory, like your emotions and you, like you as a reader, play a large part mm-hmm. in the story and the way that it's received mm-hmm. through you. And so, because of that, like even if an author doesn't intend for something to, to like like for you to encounter God through a work, like it's still, that's still relevant if that happens. Like that's still meaningful and that's okay if you're reading a work. You know, like one of my favorite authors is Kurt Vonnegut, who mm. is a renowned atheist. Mm-hmm. And yet like I, there's, um, I think it's in Slaughterhouse-Five, the, the protagonist, uh, Billy, I think his last name is Billy Pilgrim. I, I could be wrong. Um, there's a part where he actually sees, um, he's in Dresden during the firebombing in World War II and he sees all of it um, go backwards in time. So instead of um, all these people going from this like kind of uh, uncivilized world to becoming more civilized, now we're just literally killing people with bombs. He sees it go backwards about how everyone works together to dismantle mm. all of these um, all these weapons, and we're gonna hide that. We're gonna hide all the materials under the ground so no one will ever find them. And like it's it's this beautiful Whoa. like it's, I got to read that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really really good. It's one of my favorite books. Um, and the and like Kurt Vonnegut was not looking for any kind of biblical or gospel truth in his mm. books, yet like I like that actually to me like I read that and like I'll just weep sometimes because I'm like th- like th- like I see God in that and like the the way that like I see like our brokenness and the total depravity of of humans in the fact that like we are so far from the world that God has for us that there's something mm. so much better God has for us and yet like we so often push against that and like. I think that my response to that, even though that's probably not what Kurt Vonnegut intended for me to like be weeping and praying aloud as I mm-hmm. read this, is like is still important and relevant. Yeah. And so like, that's what I'd say for readers to push into is like, it's it's okay if like the author might not have intended that for you to find that truth in it. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel like if you want to see God working in places, you should be familiar with His voice, and the way to do that is to read Scripture. Mm-hmm. And to me, the practice of reading um, the Bible daily has been really important with that. Um, you start to see weird patterns. And the other thing that I would say is to see those weird patterns, slow down, like mm-hmm. slow way down. I think that um, reading the whole Bible in a year is a great exercise, but go even slower than that maybe. <laughs> um, for me, I read like at least one chapter a night and because I've done that, um, and I'm not rushed, like I really try to like take my time and go through it, really reading every line, not skimming or anything. Mm. And you start to see, um, patterns, you see repetition, you see the same things happening again and again. And then from there, like read more stuff, read more stuff that you may have read before. Um, take a look at, you know, whatever film you go to see next, like try to view it through that um, perspective. Like what, like where is God working in here? Even though the film may have nothing to do with um, faith and just like, once you start looking for it, you start seeing it a lot more, I think. Would you say, Phil, it's important for us to like be viewing any, you know, art that we're, or, you know, whether it's movies, TV, or any, like any any form of entertainment that way, should we always be viewing it through a Christian worldview? Like, is that is that important for the way that we, like what you're talking about? Like, when, when you go watch a movie, you're always like, I'm going to view this through a Christian worldview. I don't know if that's necessarily the way to go about it. Um, I definitely don't go about it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, 
maybe that's something to aspire to. I don't know if it's possible. Like, I definitely don't watch something like I'm going to view this through a Christian's perspective. I look up um, what's going to be in movies on sites like Plugged In, mm-hmm. and they go pretty far with like, like, oh, this movie has drugs. Like, what may they be searching for when they're <laughs> like, what? They they really go pretty um, pretty deep into it, and they're like, this is a dangerous movie because it kind of idolizes this. And I think that that is definitely something to be aware of, but maybe this is slightly controversial, but I don't think we should avoid viewing things at all just because it has some like sin in it Mm -hmm. because like sin is everywhere. (laughs) It's going to exist. And I think like, um, trying to stay away from it completely. There are things that you should definitely stay away from. And there are like, there are uh, movies on that site that they're like, Hey, we're not even going to review this because the content is so bad. Like we don't feel comfortable sending people to it. And like, it's just not, there's nothing really good that's going to come from it. But I also think like we need to be aware of what's out there. We need to be aware of some of the darker stuff. Um, You don't want, you don't want that stuff to be repeated and you need to know that things have happened. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I just, you were talking and kind of going to your question. One thing that popped to my mind is when you were, mentioned you summed up what i was saying as it's an orientation Mm -hmm. and so i would even say it's less like it's less about us forcing a christian message out of something it's kind of like this game that i used to like to play where it's like you take any movie and then you have to like create the narrative that is the gospel narrative which um that can happen but also part of it was it was like a fun game it was like a creative exercise how can i like find the gospel so that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about forcing a thing, but it's orienting ourselves. It's basically saying in whatever I'm watching, um, I am going to choose to believe that God can speak if he mm-hmm. wants to speak. And so here we go. Yeah. I mean, to me, cause to me, it goes back to the, the idea of like, and this, if you're talking about movies, it's a little bit different, but the whole idea of like read a response theory, which is that like, I am imparting like, I, like I, as a viewer or reader, like mm-hmm. I'm an active agent and imparting like meaning to this work. And so what that means is for me is like viewing something from a Christian worldview. I would say like, I'm different from Phil. I'm going into everything actually being like, this is who I am and my, like the way I'm going to perceive this piece of whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is going to actually be, I I will actually play a huge role in that. That like, Mm -hmm. I like the way that Phil and I might, you know, interact with the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or with Prince Caspian is very different, even though we have very similar worldviews, obviously, but like then if we have someone on the show who's not a believer, and that's actually a really important part of it. And just to clarify, I truly don't know that I'm not. Oh no, no, I'm no, not yeah, doing yeah, like no. a rhetorical. I don't know if we should do that. I'm like, I really don't know. I don't yeah. know the best way to go about it. And I also like, I'm very aware of like, what are we actually capable of? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna watch TV ever. I, yeah. I never watch TV. Is that really possible? Like, if there's a TV on in the room that you're in, and like you catch a glance at it, does that count? Like, there are all these really things good? where it's like. Like, is that really where you're going? Yeah. Well, and I think the important thing then is even being willing to ask the question of why am I choosing to watch this? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I hoping to get out of it? And it's kind of like when Paul talks about, you know, is it wrong to eat food? Like, that was, you know, sacrificed to idols? No, but like if it causes your brother to sin, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of of knowing what your motives are, what you're chasing after. And so some people might be able to watch a wide range of things because uh, they're not going to be tempted if there's certain things on the screen or they're mm-hmm. not going to be like 
have their thoughts skewed because of, you know, certain worldviews that might come into play. Um, but for other people, it could be a thing that would lead them astray. And so I think being willing to ask the question of why am I putting this content before my eyes or into my ears? Um, what am I hoping to get out of it? And not from like a guilt standpoint, but just a reality of mm-hmm. like, yeah, what am I chasing after here? And, and that's like the Pandora's box, right? Of like, what, mm-hmm. like, what should we be engaging with as Christians? And I think that's so interesting because it's, uh, it maybe even goes against what I was saying earlier, which is mm-hmm. fine with me as I like Phil said, I'm not always right. And I don't know if I'm right, but like it's the, <laughs> the, uh, the idea is also that like whatever we're interacting with has a huge impact on us, whether we want it to or not. Just like I'm saying, like, we, we actually can imp- have an impact on the mm-hmm. way we're viewing a movie or you know reading a book that book or that movie has a huge impact on us and i think what's sometimes dangerous is it's often subconscious like i don't even mm-hmm. realize it i'm not someone i'm not sitting here saying you can't watch you only can watch g-rated movies if you're a christian that's <laughs> that's not at all what i'm saying but i think what i'm hearing you you say paul is like that's why our orientation is so important mm-hmm. when it comes to interacting uh with pop culture and with art because like we will be influenced by it whether we want to or not mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that why question is huge and add four more whys. Like, why do, why do I want to do this? Well, I, why do I want to watch this show? Well, I think it'd be entertaining. It's like, well, why do you want to be entertained? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm, I'm kind of bored right now. It's like, well, why are you bored? It's like, well, not a lot of stuff's going on. It's like, well, why isn't stuff going on? It's like, well, I haven't initiated stuff. It's like, why haven't you initiated <laughs> yeah. anything? Is it's this like, how well, your brain works? <laughs> this this is like, I no seriously though. Yeah. I really do. Like I was driving through to a movie one time and I was like, I kind of felt like I maybe shouldn't go. I'm like, why do I want to, why do I want to do this? I really do ask myself that series of questions and you learn a lot about yourself and you kind of can like maybe pull out of a bad habit that way and just be like, it kind of examine why do I want to do this? And it's usually you're trying to fulfill some need that maybe there's a better way to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe a a longer lasting way to. Yeah. um, Well, and it leads to an even bigger why of, I'm filling my time with these things. Why is God not sufficient enough for mm, me? That's good. That's um, a good question. I mean, we could we could keep on jumping into all these things. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, but time is short. Uh, so any final thoughts on this topic? Well, I think just to kind of, as a conclusion for me, I think it's really important what you're doing with this podcast. I think telling the story of or just not telling, like you're actually just listening, like you're listening to others often and you are sharing a little bit yourself, but have like having this kind of space where people can share about how God is working. I think it's, uh, it's cool that you've invited us on to talk about the way that God's working in, in very subtle ways. Like I, mm-hmm. my favorite book in the entire Bible, uh, well, entire old Testament is Esther. And it's always been my favorite because it, to me, it's like, it feels like the most, even it's very, such a wild story, but it's like, it's the most realistic because mm-hmm. God is at work in a lot of, things where it doesn't even look like he's at work in at first. And I feel like I can relate to that a lot in my life because a lot of times it's not till after something happened or it's not like I hear the booming voice of God telling me to do something. It's like, oh, well, it just so happened that this other, and like, oh wait, all of these things were were God at at work in my life. And like, that's the same kind of thing that I often come across uh, in in pop culture and literature and art. And it's, it's really cool to be able to see the way that other people are doing the same thing too and like it's it's great to hear uh how it's also working in other people's lives outside of like those things in actual real experiences so thank you for having this show and for inviting so many people on to echo that i think that having a really good question 
um, can really change lives. And I think a good question in this case would be like, what is God doing here? Because like Daniel was saying, if you look back, you can see how God was working in your life. You can see how even though this bad thing happened, God worked with that to make something else happen that was really good. Um, And for me, the past year and a half has been so much better because when something hard happens, it's like, okay, God, what are you doing here? Mm. And it calms you down and makes life a little bit more bearable because you're like, okay, maybe God's doing this. Maybe God's doing this. And I can attest to the fact that a year and a half later, I now see what God was doing. Mm. And there are some like really hard moments where I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I feel like I did all the stuff right, even though I didn't, but I felt like I did. And um, it's just really great to have that question in your arsenal. I was really grateful to hear from a few listeners about their experience learning more about God in themselves through something other than scripture. And so I wanna share two with you. The first is from a friend of mine who was sharing about how the book Redeeming Love impacted her. And if you haven't heard Redeeming Love, here's what the back says. California's gold country, 1850, a time when men sold their souls for a bag of gold and women sold their bodies for a place to sleep. And here's what my friend says. My favorite book has been Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. I've read this book probably five or six times and without fail have cried each time, but due to different reasons. Rivers takes the book of Hosea and turns it into fiction with the personalized details she gives to Hosea and Angel, who is supposed to be Gomer. I think the first time I read it, I was just impressed by the overall book and storyline. But the second time I read it, I cried at multiple points because I resonated so deeply with Angel and felt like a prostitute who couldn't trust men and couldn't trust that God could possibly love me with an unconditional love. By the third time I read it, I understood more deeply God's love for his people through Hosea and how he unconditionally loved Angel even though she kept running away from home or kept pushing him away. Each time I read this book, I've come to understand a little bit more about what God's love looks like and how it affects me in different seasons of my life. I also heard from Dr. Brock, who was a professor back at my time at Campbell University and is still uh, pouring into me spiritually, largely through Facebook. And he shares, Les Miserables is the best sermon on forgiveness and grace ever preached. I had a transformative spiritual experience watching the musical from the balcony in a small theater in London. And if you haven't experienced Les Miserables in in any of the forms that it's in, you should definitely jump in because there are very powerful messages, like he said, on forgiveness, on love, on grace, on the power of community. And it is just, it is rich with little nuggets. As we explored in a previous episode, God definitely speaks through scripture, but it is amazing to see how God can speak through other forms of art. And if you have any doubt in your mind, just look at Jesus who told so many stories and use those stories to help communicate truth. Use those stories to help those listening to realize things that they 
struggled to understand otherwise. God is real, and his work and his love and his power are all around us. And like Jesus said when the Pharisees tried to silence his disciples, he said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And so I want to encourage you to listen for those stones. Um, In your life, God is trying to speak to you. Definitely spend time in scripture. Definitely spend time in prayer. But know that God loves you so much and he is reaching out to you so fervently that he is going to speak through anything he can around you. And you have that opportunity to listen. You have that opportunity to step into those spaces and say, I don't know if God is going to say something, but I know that he can. So I'm going to have my ears open a little more than I normally would. And I really believe that if you do that, you're going to hear God. You're going to experience God. He's going to show you something about himself or something about you or something about this world that is going to make you a different person than you were before you read that thing or saw that show. I'd love to hear what you experience. You can leave a voicemail at 1-804-372-3836, or you can go to the Facebook page, Where Did You See God podcast, and leave a message there or post something to our wall. But I'd love for you to share your stories. The stones are crying out all around us. And so as you go through your day, don't forget to ask, Where Did You See God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, Uh, Think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?